Luke chapter number 1. I want to begin reading at verse number 26. Now, from the Christmas season, you'll be very familiar with this passage of Scripture. But I want to try to give you a little bit different perspective on it. And I want us to look at Mary. She is the mother of the earthly body of the Lord Jesus Christ. She is set aside and chosen for this task. And I want us to take a few moments and consider what it means and what it teaches us. Verse number 26, the Word of God says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your house, Lord. If we were probably doing things the way we ought to be, we wouldn't set aside one day to honor mothers. But Lord, we'd set aside many days. But help us, Father, may the message this morning birth in our hearts a love and admiration, respect and honor and reverence towards those in our life that have taken up the role to be a nurturing figure. Lord, they may be our mother by birth or they may merely be our mother in heart, but Father, in some way, they have taken up the mantle of caring for us. I pray that You'd help us to do honor to them this morning. And Lord, above all, help us to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to honor the sacrifice He made for us. Lord, let it all be about Him ultimately. And Father, may He derive much glory from what's done and said today. Speak to each heart according to Thy will. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as you read through the earthly young life of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a handful of episodes that feature prominently. But the lion's share of the Lord's young earthly life is not disclosed to us. In fact, after you move past Luke chapter number 2, there's really nothing more said about his adolescent years and his childhood years. There are two prominent verses that define for us what the majority of the time was like in the home with the young Christ child. The Bible says in Luke 2.40 that the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is when he's a young child. And then in Luke 2.52, we are told about Jesus in his teenage years. We're told that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And you know, if I can draw an application 
that sort of frames the message this morning. I find that very often mothers, they view the act of motherhood, the task of raising and rearing children, in the context of these two verses. They view it simply the majority of your time. This is what I'm getting at, mothers. The majority of your time, you feel like you're just merely trying to develop certain things in your kids. You're trying to keep them from killing each other. You're trying to make sure they get fed. You're trying to make sure they learn their letters. You're trying to make sure they get some kind of God in their life. And that's what motherhood is, I think, for most people. It is uh, uh, certainly a high calling. It is certainly something that God uses. And we'll say that here in a moment. But I would say this, that for, for most people, they see motherhood simply as these three things. Number one is a matter of development. We're told that the Lord Jesus, He grew. That means physically he grew. We're told that he waxed strong in spirit. We're told in Luke 2.52 that he increased in wisdom and in stature. One thing I've learned about kids, and it's a pretty universal truth, they all get bigger and eat more. Somebody say amen. I think that very few people realize, if they've never been through the process, just how much time you spend trying to keep them healthy. Just how much time you spend trying to keep them alive, amen? Because they are delicate, and not only are they delicate, but sometimes they're dumb, amen? And they do dumb things. Now remember, I'm raising boys, alright? If you've got a little girl, I'm sure she's precious and perfect, and I'm sure she never does anything crazy. When you're raising boys, they do wild, reckless things. And often I think mothers feel like the lion's share of their time is just simply spent trying to keep their kids from killing themselves or some other kid. They're trying to make sure they eat well. I've never seen obsession like a mother trying to make sure their child gets all the food that they need and more than they need and the right kind that they need. And it's because I think one of the great impulses of any parent, but particularly of mothers, is to make sure that their child's physical well-being is as good as it can possibly be. Certainly it is a task that we ought to see to, to make sure best as we can that our children are healthy. But then let me say, I think a lot of people see motherhood and parenthood in general as a matter of deftness. I didn't say deftness. If you've got a little one, you might think that, but deftness. In other words, what are we trying to do? We're not just trying to see them physically develop, but mentally develop. We want to see them get smarter. We want to teach them their letters and their numbers. We want them to be able to succeed in life. And we want to make sure that they are equipped in every way to face the world that is around them. Let me tell you, a lot of disservice has been done to generations of kids by not preparing them for the world around them. Uh, listen, we live in a day where no, there's no winners or losers. Everybody gets a T-ball trophy and you never have to cope with the reality of life. And I don't think that's healthy. I think we ought to teach kids that our choices have consequences because one day they're going to go out into a world that doesn't care about their feelings, that doesn't care about their self-esteem, that doesn't care if they feel like they're in a comfortable and safe place. So we better ready them for that because one day they're going to have to face it. And I think very often particularly as a child gets a little older, you view your main task in, in parenthood and motherhood as a matter of instilling deftness in them, of skill and of smarts and of capability. A lot of parents, their great high aspiration for their kids is that they go to an Ivy League school or that they uh, gain a great career. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being successful. I think there's loftier goals we ought to set in their lives. But but I don't think there's anything wrong with being successful. And I don't think it's unusual that parents often see parenthood as a matter of instilling deafness. But then I would say this, for believers, there is the matter of devotion. And they, I believe, seek, and I hope you seek, to instill a love for God in the hearts and lives of your children. 
Uh, one of the greatest things that you can do for your children has nothing to do with a college fund, has nothing to do with the school you put them in, has nothing to do with uh, the clothes that you put on their back. One of the greatest things you can do for your children is to get them to church three times a week and to Sunday school. Get them to every activity the church is doing. The world's pulling at them in every direction. One of the greatest gifts you can give them, get them to Sunday school, get them to Sunday morning preaching, get them to Sunday night, get them to Wednesday night, get them to the youth activities, get them to everything you can get them to and get as much God in their life. Because the world's going to try to suck all of that out of their life and try to try to destroy what you're building. So I believe parenthood and motherhood, it is a matter of devotion. I said it this way, that with development, we're trying to see growth in their life. With deafness, we're trying to see gains in their life. I think with devotion, we're trying to see grace in their life. We want them to grow up. Uh, old-timers, you say it this way, to have something about them. Somebody say amen there. But I think that sometimes it's easy to, to miss the forest for the trees. And I think that sometimes it is so easy to live our lives in the process of just that that routine and just trying to get them through, get another hour's sleep, get another meal fed, get another little laundry wash, and just, just trying to claw our way to completing the tasks in front of us that I think sometimes we miss the bigger picture of what motherhood, parenthood in general, but motherhood in particular is. You know, as we see the young life of the Lord Jesus, we find only a handful of narratives woven into it. We find these two simple verses that describe what most of the days in that little home in Nazareth were like of children that were eating and growing and getting dirty and getting washed and, and going to bed and waking up and their days filled with activities and them learning and developing. And that's what parenthood feels like. But we find three big chief narratives that are set almost like uh, stones in a ring around this centerpiece of daily life. Now, I want you, if you can, for a few moments, to think about motherhood in particular and parenthood in general with a little bit different perspective. And I want to give you three simple thoughts this morning. In the passage that we've read to open the service, we have noticed that Mary is not a mother yet. Uh, she has never experienced motherhood. But the angel Gabriel appears unto her and speaks to her. And I will go ahead and recognize that Mary's motherhood is a little different than anybody else's. I'm aware of that. It's not lost on me, the unique circumstances. But I do think there are some important truths that are universal to motherhood that are worth noticing. And for Mary, this whole experience of having a child was something that was uh, keenly divine in nature. She wasn't planning at that venture in life and having a child, but God showed up and said, you're going to have a child. She wasn't planning on going through this process at this moment, but God shows up and says, now's the time. I want to say this as sweetly and kindly as I can, and I hope you'll just have grace with me if I say it the wrong way. I don't believe that if people struggle with having children, that's a punishment. I don't believe if people can have children, it's some proof of righteousness. But I do believe that everything's done in God's timing. And I listen, I have seen God open the wombs of people that have struggled for years. And I don't believe He did it because they did everything right. I believe He did it because it was in His timing. And I don't believe that when God withholds that, He's punishing anybody. But I do believe God, in His providential timing, is setting things in a right accordance. And I think He's doing things perfectly. Mary wasn't expecting to have children at this venture in life, but God shows up. And says, alright Mary, you're going to be a mother, not just a mother, you're going to be the mother of the body, of the Son of God, of the Messiah, of the Christ. And your life is going to be consumed with this task. 
Can I say to you, number one this morning, that motherhood and parenthood in general, but motherhood in particular, it is an exercise in spirituality. This is not merely a biological phenomenon. Now, I do believe, obviously, as anyone would, as any honest person would, that there's a biological component to having children. But I believe it is bigger than that. I believe it is more than that. And I believe that part of the problem with our society today is that we have made love and we have made intimacy and we have made marriage and we have made parenthood merely a biological transaction and we have robbed from it all of the divine components and all of the spiritual aspects. But motherhood is more than just a biological transaction. Uh, motherhood is something that is spiritual in its nature. For instance, I want you to notice three things with me. Look down at verse number 31. Uh, the Bible says that Gabriel told Mary, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. For Mary, the Lord showed up and said, Mary, when you have this child, the world will never again be the same. The world is going to be eternally changed by the child that will come from your womb. And it reminds me of this, that motherhood involves changing the future. Changing the future. Every person that has ever walked and lived in this world that has changed this world has been born of a mother. They have had someone that held them in their loving arms, someone that cared for them, someone that oversaw to their development. And probably that mother did not even realize at the moment. I believe Mary knew what she was doing. But most mothers could never even recognize the great potential that their child holds. Kings and emperors, preachers and men of God, people that have molded and shaped the world have all sat on a mother's knee, have all been held to a mother's bosom. Understand, mother, that when you're holding that child, you're holding the future in your hands. And what you're doing is molding and shaping a heart and a life to either be used to great damage or to divine purposes. I wrote down, I'm not usually a quote person when it comes to messages and sermons, but I wrote down a couple quotes that I think is worthy of note. Samuel Taylor Coleridge said this, that the love of a mother is the veil of a softer light between the heart and the heavenly Father. You understand that the home you provide, one preacher said it this way, that the mother is the Holy Ghost of the home. In the same way that the Holy Ghost readies the heart of the sinner that they might accept the Savior. In the same way the mother lays out a scene and a context for which God is going to be interpreted and understood and divine in that family. You're literally holding the potential when you hold that little child in your arms, the potential to change the world. It is a high calling to have that role and influence in someone's life. Can I go a step further and say this? I was thinking about it when Brother Jimmy was talking about, you know, all, all of the ladies that are here present get a gift. And there's a reason for that. It's not because we'd be scared to only give them to mothers, but because we recognize that some people are, are mothers in uh, biology and physiology. Some of them are mothers in heart and in love. And uh, listen, there's a lot of ladies in this room that uh, it may have never been the will of God for you to bear a child from your womb, but you've borne some in your heart. And you're, I call you a church mama. Can I do that? Is that okay? You're a church mama or a church grandma and you got all these babies running around and you love them and you care for them. And understand that those little ones that are shuffling around our feet, they are the future. And how we interact with them, we have the potential and, and, and the opportunity to instill in them an understanding of who God is. An author by the name of William Thackeray said this, that mother is the name for God in the lips and hearts of little children. 
They don't know who God is. They have no concept. But they know that there's somebody loves them. And as they grow older, they're going to learn that there's somebody else that loves them, that cares for them. I would say this, that in many ways the father teaches the children about God's authority, but the mother teaches the children about God's affection. And to hold a child in your arms is to hold a great vast amount of potential. For Mary, this child she was going to have was going to change the world. Now, there ain't none of us that are going to give birth to a Messiah. But I would recognize this, that you might give birth to the next great preacher, to the next great pastor, to the next great man of God, to the next politician that chooses to stand and not bend or buckle, to the next person that chooses to be a soul winner and a witness. You hold great potential in your arms, Mama. When you have that little baby, it's a matter of changing the future. Let me give you a second one. Look back at verse 26. The Bible says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Listen how she responds. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Let me say that motherhood is an exercise in changing the future, but it's also a matter of overcoming fear. If you have never been through it, this may be foreign to you, but most parents would tell you that being a parent is a terrifying prospect. Uh, It's a strange thing. I remember talking to my brother-in-law about it when I was getting ready to have my first. He said, man, it's a weird thing when they give you that baby at the hospital and it's time to go home. And you ain't never had that baby outside of the context of that hospital room. And they just give them to you like, all right, here's your baby. And you're just standing there like, what now? And they say, well, put put them in the car and go home. That car? Our home? Are are you going to be there when I get there? How will I know what to do? And I think for mothers, it's doubly true. I think that very often there's a great amount of fear that comes with the prospect of parenthood. Am I going to do it right? Am I going to know what to do? Am I going to make the right choices and the right decisions? See, motherhood, it's not just a high calling, it's a hard calling. It's not easy. All the time, there are questions for which there is no manual and no answer. And let me say this, I don't mean this in a derogatory way towards anybody that parented in another time. But let me just say, in some ways I think it's harder because we got the internet and everybody's got an opinion now. Man, it's funny, for for generations, uh, mamas raised their babies in the way that they were taught by their mamas. And things were passed down generationally. Now we live in a time where some random person we don't even know writes a blog and we throw out everything we've been taught generationally and say, well, it must be that way. And we've got voices clamoring around us day in and day out saying, do it this way, do it that way, do it this way, do it that way. If you do it this way, it's the wrong way. If you do it that way, it's the right way. And then somebody else saying, no, they got it wrong. Do it this way, do it that way. And I think it oftentimes breeds a sense of anxiety and insecurity in a lot of parents' hearts. You see, when she hears this, she is struck with fear and she casts about in her mind what manner of salutation. You know what she's saying? What does all this mean? What's going to happen? And I'll tell you this, it's a terrifying thing having children and taking your heart and knitting it to some other living entity and allowing them to carry it around for the rest of their days. It's a terrifying thing. But can I remind you of something? We see her fear here, but we also see her favor here. How does God calm her fears? In verse 30, the angel says, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. 
for a believer, we can recognize this. Listen, it's a, it's a terrifying prospect raising these little ones. And we worry, are we going to do it right? Are we going to do it in the appropriate way? Are we going to do it in the appropriate measure? But let us just be reminded that regardless of all the voices clamoring in, we still have an inerrant inspired Bible. We still have a Holy Ghost dwelling within us. We still have a God that loves us and cares for us. We're not alone in this thing. The Lord is with us. And He loves us and has an interest in it. It's an exercise in spirituality because it's changing the future and it's overcoming fear. Look down at verse 34 with me. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? That's a, that's a biological question. It's a very logical one too. She's saying this can't be. I know where children come from. Ain't no stork going to be bringing me a baby. I don't know a man. How could this be? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. I like how Mary responds. She said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let me say this, that... Uh, motherhood is an exercise in spirituality because it's uh, a matter of exercising faith in God. Whenever the angel says, Mary, you're going to have a child, she says, that's impossible. And the angel says, not with God, it's not. Nothing's impossible with God. The question, Mary, is will you trust the Lord? She had to trust in three things. Listen to this, mother. She had to trust, number one, in God's plan. She said, that's impossible. How could this be? And God said, I've got a way. You may not see a way. You may not see any way this can change. You may not see any way this can turn out right. You may not have a plan. But guess what? God has a plan. And listen, one of the keys to peace in parenting is recognizing that we may not have a plan, but God has a plan. And if we can just exercise faith in Him and have His plan worked out in our lives, then God can bring it about for good and for His glory. Let me tell you something. One of the things you recognize real quick as you grow up is ain't nobody got anything figured out. When you're little, you think, it's all right, man. The adults know what's going on. And then you're an adult and you're looking around going, nobody knows what's going on. We're all bouncing around like pinballs in this thing. Nobody has a plan. Can I remind you that God does have a plan? And peace and confidence and encouragement in parenting comes from recognizing that God has a plan and His plan is right. Not only that, she had to have faith in God's power. She says, well, how could this be? How is this possible? The Holy Ghost is going to come upon me supernaturally, miraculously, I'm going to have a child. How could that be? God, it can't be done. And the angel says, it's already been done, miraculously. Not in the way that it's been done unto you, Mary. But Elizabeth, your cousin, is in old age in a barren womb, and God has brought forth a child in her womb. Can I just remind you of this? We look at it and we say, man, God can't work in this situation. We don't recognize that God's already worked in this situation a thousand times before. You ain't the first one to face what you're facing. You ain't going to be the last one if the Lord tarries His coming. God didn't fail them. He's not going to fail you. He's got the power it takes. He's got the power to lead us, to guide us. He's got the power to work in your child's heart, your grandchild's heart. You may say, there's no way, but God's already done it in other people's lives. Have faith in God's power. With Him, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. And I find it interesting what she says in verse number 38. She says, behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. Throughout the first of this conversation, you know what she's saying? God, you've got the wrong gal. 
There's no way. This is impossible. I'm not up to the task. I've I've never known a man. I have no experience raising children. I'm not the person for this. But finally, before it's all said and done, she says, Lord, if you want me to, then I will serve you in this capacity. She had to have faith in God's pick. You know, very often we think to ourselves, I know other people have done it, but I can't do it. I can't raise these children. I can't teach them right. I can't train them right. I, I can't, and often we look with our loved ones, our, our grown children, our grandchildren. I can't, I can't reach them for the Lord. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And oftentimes we want to push away the yoke of God's service and say, it's just too big for me. But can I remind you that God can use anybody for anything He chooses if they're willing and available unto Him. And Mary had to come to a place where she said, I don't think I'm the right person for this, but if God does, then I'll trust Him. And I'll trust Him that He can use me for His glory. See, parenthood, motherhood in particular, it's an exercise in spirituality. Turn over chapter 2 with me. I want you to think very quickly about another thought. Chapter number 2. Now this is after the Christ child has been born. And look down in verse number 21. I think that there are some, some features of this narrative that we always notice. But what I want to do is I want you to see Mary standing over to the side of what's taking place in in this chapter. Look at verse 21. The Bible says, When eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord... Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them. And he said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Can I say that that parenthood and motherhood in particular, it's an exercise in spirituality. But I think if we look at Mary standing over on on the corner of this narrative, we learn this, that motherhood is an exercise in suffering. Now, I don't say this to scare anybody, but understand this, that it's not easy being a mama. It's not easy being a mother. I see in this passage, again, we sort of have this this whitewashed Sunday school rendition telling of this narrative. But I think if we get really real about what's going on here, we begin to recognize that Mary is probably not feeling 100% at this point. Let me mention three kinds of suffering that I believe a mother does. I believe they suffer in laboring for them. Now again, we, we imagine Mary as being the figure upon the posters that rest on Sunday school walls, but she's the first-time mother of a newborn. 
This baby was uh, born in a in a barn or born in a in a stable. This baby was laid in a manger. They had been traveling, and hard travel uh, was the common way back then. They had just got back somewhere near home, and now they have to pick up and travel to Jerusalem. Uh, she is still recovering from the birthing process. This child is brand new. I don't know what kind of condition the child might have been in. No doubt he was probably healthy. He was God's child. But I can just see Mary riding in on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem. No doubt she is exhausted. She is probably emotionally drained and no doubt worried about what the next few days are going to hold. See, for her as a first-time mother of a newborn baby, a life of labor and of hard work had just begun. She probably was running on fumes, barely had any sleep, had no clue what to expect, was probably in that fog that mamas get in for the first like 18 years of raising a child where they get no sleep at all. And she had begun a hard life of labor and of work. There is probably no harder work in the world than the work that a mother does. They never really rest, if we're being frank. Even rest to them is not rest. They forever sleep with one eye open and one ear listening. And they forever worry and labor about every single thing that their child does. Never again do they know what true rest feels like till they get to heaven. And they labor just unconditionally, unflinchingly, unrelentingly for that child. Milton Berle said this, that if evolution were true, how come mamas only have two hands? I don't say this to scare anybody because most mamas would tell you it's worth it. But understand this, this is true for fathers to some degree, but especially for mothers. Life changes after you have a child. To this day, if I go into my mama's house, I just about have to strap her down to a chair to keep her from cooking me a meal. Because she longs and desires to minister unto my needs. And I see the same thing in my wife as she ministers to my needs, but also to our children's needs forever seeking some way to lift their burden and make life easier. It's not an easy road in laboring for them. Let me say number two, it's not easy in letting go of them. I can just sort of imagine as they're walking through Jerusalem. And again, we have a scriptural perspective. We know this is the Christ child. We know that Mary has been divinely chosen for this task. We know that Joseph, the the stepfather of the earthly Christ, that he is a righteous and just man. We probably think a lot better of them than they thought of themselves. And as they ride into Jerusalem uh, on these broke-down donkeys with uh, turtle doves in, in hand, looking ragged, looking worn to a fray, all of a sudden, now we know him as Simeon. He's a just and devout man. He's been waiting for the Messiah to come. But they don't know who he is. All of a sudden, some crazy old kook comes running up to them and snatches that newborn out of their arms and lifts him up and starts to talk about how God's going to use him. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm betting that Mary got a little nervous this newborn baby, and it ain't just anybody's baby, this is God's baby. So she's really on the hook for this baby. And this old man reaches up and grabs this baby out of her hand. Probably Simeon's hands were the first, other than Mary or Joseph's, to ever hold the Christ child. And she lets go of that baby and lets him take that child lifted up in the air and begin to declare publicly and loudly what God is going to do through this child. You know, it's almost symbolic, isn't it? I'm sure that fear and terror and anxiety that she felt as for the first time she let go of her child that he might be exalted for God's purposes is probably similar to the terror that parents feel when they see him take the first steps. 
when they see him take that first lap on that bicycle, when they see him drive down the driveway that first time that they've got their license, when they see him get on that school bus for the very first time. You see, parenting, it's a lot of it is just a series of letting go and having to suffer through the terror and fear of those prospects. We suffer, I think, through letting go of them. I think that a mother suffers in loving them. Because everything that child goes through, every heartache that child feels, every skint knee that child ever has, every black eye that child ever gets, every bloody nose that he ever uh, comes across, the mother feels. Not in her body, but in her heart, in her soul. Simeon looks at Mary and says, this child set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel and for a sign to be spoken against. And then it's like he scoots in real close and he says, and a sword shall pierce through thy soul also. One of these days, Mary, your child has been born to die, to be made a sacrifice for many. One day, you're going to outlive him, Mary. One day, he's going to die on a cross, Mary. And you're going to have to stand there and watch the suffering and the heartache and the torment that he goes through. And when that sword pierces through his soul, Mary, it's going to pierce through your soul too. A mother and the love that she has for her child, in some mysterious way, it's like it fuses the two hearts to one. And everything that child, and, and uh, again, I, and I don't mean this, I don't mean to keep saying this, please don't take this as an ugly way, but this may be something that just don't resonate with you. But there's, it's literally almost a physical ailing feeling when you see your child get hurt. It's beyond just fear. It, it's all, you know, the Bible, Bible talks about your bowels of compassion being moved, and it describes just sort of how on the inside, how, how you, you're just guts wrench. And it's because those two hearts have been made one. No doubt Mary spent many an hour worrying about what this was going to mean. In fact, two different occasions, the Bible says, one in Luke uh, 2.19 and another here at the end of Luke chapter 2, it says she kept these things in her heart. She pondered them. She thought about them. She never forgot what was said about the Savior. She, in loving Him, had to experience a measure of suffering herself. Look at the end of this chapter. I want to give you a word of encouragement. I think motherhood is an exercise in spirituality and in suffering. But I think here we find the hope and the instruction we need. Look down at verse 41. Some years have passed, 12 years to be exact. And Jesus is a young man now. The Bible says in verse 41, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. All that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. When they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee, three, uh, have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? They understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Can I say this? Motherhood is an exercise in spirituality and in suffering. But we find peace in recognizing that motherhood is an exercise in submission. Submission to the God of heaven. You know, God's doing more than molding your child through your parenthood. 
He's molding you through it too. He's not just using you to teach lessons to them. He's using them that He might teach lessons to you. And we find in this passage that there were three things that Mary had to submit herself to through her experience as a mother. Number one, we see that she had to submit her home to God's system of parenting. The Bible says in verse number 41, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. They had made up their mind that it was God's child that was going to raise Him God's way. Can I tell you something? In a very unique way, it's true that Christ was the Son of God, the child of God. Can I say that every one of us, our children, they belong to God. And we ought to commit ourselves to say, it's God's child, I'm going to raise Him God's way. The greatest thing you can ever do for your child as a parent is to commit to raise your child God's way. To say, whatever the Bible prescribes, that's what I'm going to do. Trusting that God knows better than me and knows better than any other person. They had to submit their home to God's system of parenting, and they did that. Let me say, number two, not only their home to God's system of parenting, she had to learn to submit her heart to God's certain promises. So you've read the story, the narrative. You've heard it a hundred times, I'm sure. Jesus is in Jerusalem. The feast is over. His parents begin to head back to their city, not recognizing that Jesus had stayed behind and was not in the midst. And undoubtedly, they flew into a frenzy. They thought, man, we've done lo- he ain't, we ain't just lost our child. We've lost God's child. What are we going to do? And for three days, they, they work their way back through the caravan of, of pilgrims and travelers, and they search and they question and they inquire, and they make their way all the way back to Jerusalem. And they go into the temple thinking, well, maybe he stayed there. And when they walk in, they see him sitting in the midst of the rabbis and of the teachers and scribes and lawyers, and he's answering their questions. And they, as any parent would, no doubt, were, were furious. They were probably relieved, but at the same time, you know, when you can't find them, you ain't even mad at them, you're just scared. But then once you find them, you ain't scared no more, and then you can be mad at them. Amen? And so they run up, and Mary, she speaks out of turn. It's interesting, because she says this, Thy father and I have sought thee sorrow. That tells you that Mary was thinking in the flesh. She wasn't thinking in the Spirit. She was thinking in the flesh. She says, Thy Father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And Christ asks a question. I don't think He's being disrespectful. He says, How is it that you sought me? How is it that you sought me? You see, here's the reality. Had Mary been thinking spiritually, here's what she would have thought. I didn't... (laughs) This child is not my child. This child is, is God's child. I was told from the very beginning that God had a purpose and plan for this child's life. This child's life is not destined to end through him being lost on a journey to Jerusalem. This child's life is destined to end when God has appointed for it to end. It's destined to end on the cross of Calvary. This is not just any child. This is God's child. And God has promised that this child would die in a very, very specific way. And if I can trust God's promises, then I don't have to worry. I can just trust that He's got this situation under control. Now, I will, I will cede this to you, parent. It's true you're not the parent of the Christ child. It's true the destiny of our children is not as clearly mapped out. But can I just say this, that God's love for our children is no less than His love for His own child. 
And God has made promises to us that if we do everything we can to raise them the right way, to put God in their life, ain't none of us perfect, but if we would commit ourselves and consecrate ourselves to raise them God's way and to do things the Lord's way, that He would come up beside, that He would help us, that He would undergird us, that if we would train up a child in the way he should go, that when he is old, he'll not depart from it. It's not to say they're going to live perfectly, but it's to say they can't get away from the training we've put into their life. They may be in the far country, but God's in the far country true. We can trust our heart to God's promises. You may not be able to reconcile all of it, but just remember that God loves that child more than you love that child. You may not think it possible, but according to the testimony of Scripture, He does. Don't think just because things have gone a little sideways, just because they made some mistakes, just because they've gone down a wrong path, just because they made shipwreck of their life, don't think that God's given up on them. Because He hasn't. He loves them. You've got to trust your heart to God's promises. If this thing was a matter of raising them perfectly, they'd all turn out wrong. Because ain't none of them got perfect parents. But they do have a perfect God. And that God, our God, is seeing to their needs and to their security. And then finally, and I'm done, whenever he says this, how is it that you sought me? How is it that you sought me? She just sits there, stands there, looks at him. Then he asks this question, Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? There's a lot I want to say about that, but can I sum it up in this way? He looks at her and says this, Mama, I'm at an age now where I'm following the course that my heavenly father has laid out for me. He was just on the cusp of manhood in Jewish law. When he turned 13 years old, he was going to be considered a man according to Jewish culture and society. It's not to say his parents wouldn't have any influence in his life. It's not to say that Mary would lose all all audience with her son or would lose all authority with her son. But it is to suggest this, that there comes a time when something changes in the nature and dynamic of that relationship. And I don't think Christ is being disrespectful here, but I won't whitewash what He's saying either. What He's saying is this, there is a course that is set for my life, and it's incumbent upon me to follow it. Can I say it this way? You've got to trust your home to God's system of parenting, your heart to God's certain promises. But at a certain point, you have to be willing to trust your hopes for your child to God's sovereign plan recognizing that God has a plan laid out for their life. It may not be the plan you laid out. It may not be what you expected for them. It may not be what you hoped for them. But if they're doing the will of God, then they're doing what's right. I don't say this to... I'm trusting that the Holy Ghost is going to put this where it needs to be. If it don't apply to you and your situation, then I'll trust the Holy Ghost ain't going to say a thing to you about it. But if it does, I'd beg you to take heed to what He says. At the end of the day, listen carefully. What God wants for your child is better than what you want for your child. If they can grow up and do God's will, they'll be far better off than if they grow up and do our will. And part of this process of surrendering and submitting to God is being willing to say, I trust God with my child's well-being and future. I trust that He's capable of fixing what I've broken, of leading where I see no path, of doing where I see no possibility, something to be done. I'm not saying we abdicate our responsibility as parents. Certainly, we are the arbiter of divine truth in their life when they're young. But we do need to recognize that as they get older, there comes a place in their life where they have to follow God's plan and God's will for them. 
to preacher, they don't know God's will and plan. If they're at the age where they have to go a direction and they don't know how to divine and discern the will of God, then we've prob- there's probably not anything we can do at that point beyond prayer for them anyway. Are you listening to me? There comes a point where we don't have the same audience we used to have with them. So what can I do at that point, preacher? Leave off your audience with them. Take up your audience with Him. And begin to pray and ask God to work in their life. Listen, I'm not saying that whatever any child does and lives and acts is right just by dint of them being of a certain age. But I am saying this, there comes a place where we have to do less talking to them about Him and more talking to Him about them. And we have to trust that God has a plan for their life. And we have to seek God. Prayer is your most powerful resource. Avail yourself of it. And recognize that God is trying to elicit faith from you in Him just as much as He's trying to elicit faith from them in Him. This thing of parenthood, man, we never we never shake it. Once you go down that path, you're always a parent. No matter how old they are, you're always a mama, you're always a daddy. In the same way that when they're little, you've got to trust God with them. When they're bigger, you've got to trust God more with them. If your kids are little, now's the time to exercise that authority in their life. A preacher friend of mine said this, we all right? It ain't a holiday today or anything, is it? Y'all ain't getting ready to go out to eat anywhere, are you? A preacher friend of mine said this the other day and it stuck with me. He said, when they're little, the preacher begs the parents, get them to church. When they get older, the parents beg the preacher, get them to church. If they're little, you better exercise that authority you got right now, that influence, because one day you won't have it. And if you're older and your, your children are grown, just rest in this. God loves them more than you love them. Don't feel like you have to guide and coordinate every step of their life. God has a plan for their life. Here's what you need to do. You need to be storming the throne room of grace and saying, God, work effectually in their hearts and minds. And trust that God has a plan for them and trust them to God's sovereign plan.